I don't want to be programmed every hour on the hour, go in there and read another PowerPoint presentation. Again, I could do that remotely at home. I, I want access to sit down and talk to clients. I want to be able to ask questions. I want to be able to ask questions of me. And I think that's what sets good conferences apart for me. The Digital Banking Podcast is powered by Typhoon. Typhoon is the creator of Infinia, a dramatically better digital banking platform for community financial institutions, as well as several platform agnostic, revenue generating point solutions. Our highly configurable platform and broad ecosystem of third party partners ensure our entire suite is scalable and extensible to meet the needs of any FI. On our podcast, you will hear host Josh Dittar discuss today's most pressing financial technology topics with seasoned industry experts from every possible discipline. You know, your podcast hasn't officially made it until there's ads in it, but this is one you're not going to want to skip past. And well, if you do, feel free to hit that fast forward 15 seconds button twice. Ever wonder what gives me my energy and enthusiasm during these podcasts? You know, outside of my relentless desire to learn about, connect, share, and build up community FIs and their mission to support the communities they serve? It's coffee. <laughs> and lots of it. Now, you want to know what's better than your regular old coffee? How about donating $5 to the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals through Credit Unions for Kids every time you purchase high-quality, ethically-sourced coffee that also provides living wages to coffee farmers. So if you want to listen to this episode with epic levels of caffeine-induced focus and help kids in need, head to javaforkids.org to learn more and buy a bag or 10. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Banking Podcast. My guest today is James Burke Frazier, or JBF as we all know him. Yes, architect at Jack Henry. I've had the absolute pleasure of knowing JBF for a number of years, although I may have a slight disdain for him due to his ability to bump me on the upgrade list on Alaska so Airlines. True. And he seems to end up on a lot of flights with me each year, although he is kind enough to wave to me as I walk past him in his first class seat to get to my middle seat in the back of the plane. In all seriousness, though, anytime his name comes up, the first thing that comes to my mind is genuine. James is one of those personalities that you truly cannot fake. For those of you, and I know there are many, that know him even a little can attest to the authenticity of that statement. JBF says he has always been passionate about credit unions and would be even if he didn't work in the industry in any capacity. It's just a part of his core DNA, the fabric of what makes him. This passion for service and service in pursuit of something noble, which ultimately is the credit union mission. He gets excited each and every day to find the chocolate and peanut butter examples. Although, side note, with Halloween being tomorrow and the fact that all this candy is in my house, now all I want is a Reese's, so thanks for that, JBF. But the example is one of finding a fit between a question and an answer. There are a never-ending evolution of questions in our industry about how do you both provide value and stay relevant. James takes the mission of having an answer to the top of his priority list. And it's for that reason, one of his favorite things to do is to learn and to stretch his brain at every opportunity he gets. While he didn't go to school for tech, he found a love for it by accident. He went to school to be a teacher, which makes so much sense yeah. given his desire to help others get answers to questions that will ultimately help them grow and succeed. 
Now, like I mentioned before, JBF is one of the most honest to goodness, genuine people that I know. It comes through when you talk to him about things like his close to 30 year marriage with his wife. And I will say it, you know, the way he talks about her is nothing short of absolutely beautiful and inspiring. And one of the many reasons why I respect him so much. So I am deeply humbled and freakishly excited to have him on the show today. So, James, welcome to the show. I'm really excited, excited I finally got you here. I'm excited to be here. You know, I what's that, what's that TV? A, a long-time listener, first-time caller. And just, yeah, excited to just sit, you know, spend some time. I mean, unless, have it, unless I get to see you at conferences or see you walking past me to the cheap seats on a plane, I don't really get a chance to talk to you, you know, just selfishly for our stuff. We're always you know, on the floor or working between things like that. So I'm excited. I think it's gonna be fun. Well, and you know, what makes this extra special is for those of you that are just listening, this is actually the first time where we are officially also recording the video. I was saving this and really? you can see his genuine reaction. He didn't I... even know we were saving the very first video recording what? for this gentleman right here. Oh, so. I was told I have a face for radio. So, well, this is I gonna, was just going to say, so you get to see. This is going to be tough on your ratings, sir. Real Whatever. tough on your ratings. I was just going to say, this is so that everybody gets to see your beautiful face and they have wow. to deal with my ugly mug to get it. So, well, you're in a tech, you're in a tech company. I figure you're going to do something magical with this, with filters. Oh, we could uh, use like a unicorn bitmoji on top of it. I was thinking of, of like Pierce AI. Bronson filter, but <laughs> you do you. I'm just saying I could imagine this is a little 007 with your technology skills. You know, I just feel like that would take away from the beauty of who you are. Well, you called me genuine and that, so that kind of ruins that it idea. It does kind of kill that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know what's so funny is, uh, and it's actually one of the reasons why I was super excited to have you as a guest on the podcast is... You know, the types of interactions and conversations that you and I have is exactly why we started this podcast in the first place. I don't know if I've ever actually really told the story of how this podcast started on the podcast, no. but you know, the podcast really started out as a joke. And the joke was a joke that I used to tell my wife. And I used to always tell her that much like her, I'm actually a total introvert. I'm just a well-paid extrovert. And, you know, if I had my druthers, I'd rather be an introvert at home, quiet, not talking to anybody. But when you put a paycheck in front of me, I'm happy to be an extrovert. And the pandemic hit and I realized that was a complete and utter lie. And I was a lot more extroverted than I was willing to lead on to. And, and where I found that really manifested itself in my professional life was conversations with people like you, right? Because to your point, like the only sure. times you and I get to see each other is on a plane or you know, as I see you at a conference running around in fourth gear, like a madman, like you always do. And I lost those opportunities, right? You and I didn't have right. those conversations through the pandemic. And so this became a way to facilitate those. And that's what's become so cool about this is exactly what you just said, right? Like the conversations that we have at a conference, now people get to eavesdrop in and, and listen to the types of things you and I talk about, which, you know, apparently, unfortunately, probably for a lot of people is going to be very boring and unexciting. But for us, it's riveting. It's exciting. I, I feel like you're a, my brother from a, another mother because I'm like you. I when I'm at home, I don't need to interact with people. I don't need to worry about, you know, their technology questions. But by not being able to interact with people, I felt like I didn't get a chance to charge my excitement, charge my battery, charge my innovation. And so by during COVID, I felt like I was one of the few people that enjoyed Zoom calls or Teams calls with the camera on because I feel like I do best 
face to face. I I don't present well for remote meetings. I don't present well on PPTs, you know, on on Zoom or whatever. It's in person. But what was worse was when the camera's off and I'm presenting, I felt like I was just like going through the motions. So being able to be back on the road, talking to clients, other vendors, other people, it's just a way to feel sexy, feel energy from me. Because when I see passionate people doing things, it just reminds me that's why I want to be passionate and I want to do things because I see people doing exciting and interesting things. And so I, I like you, I, you know, w- when I can turn it off, I can turn it off, but I'm just excited to be back on the road again at all the conference cycles doing stuff because it just gets a chance to interact with clients and people like yourself. Yeah. You know, and I think that was one of the topics that we even had talked about, you know, wanting to talk about on this episode was just you know, kind of the importance of that in-person side of things and the ability to be at conferences to really network and get to the heart of, you know, the conversation and have long form conversation with folks. And, you know, it is, it's actually really hilarious how often we find each other on the same flight. And we were joking before we started recording, we're like, man, the one thing that has never happened in all these years, if it's never happened is we've never actually had the seats next to each other. And it's probably the good Lord just looking out for whoever would be next to us. God, could you imagine being in between us too? Yes, yeah. oh, know, gosh. We both, have a, we both have high enough status that unless we're trying to hop a plane or uh, change our flight, it's not like we're normally sitter seats, right? So you in A and I'm in C and poor schmucks in B thinking to himself going, I'd rather I? sit in the bathroom than be yeah, in between these like, two guys. Uh, yeah. Can I head to the farther in the back? You can skip the free premium economy drink. I'm okay. I'll head to the back, right? That would be it. So... But uh, selfishly, I wanted to ask you, you know, I see you at conferences. I mean, I see you at the, you know, different. How do you choose which conference you go to? I mean, just selfishly. I mean, I know this work, you know, work tells us what conferences we go to, too. But we all have some, a little bit of ability to fine tune our own calendars. What makes a conference that you want to go to a conference? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, for I think there's two layers to that, right? What's first off us as an organization going to participate in? Sure. And then of the ones that our organization participates in, like, where do I go personally? And, you know, I think a lot like you, right? I laugh that you got to make up your title. I got to make up my title. Apparently that's what they do with, the thing. with weirdos like us is they put us in some corner and say, make up your own title and just, you know, just stay productive. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, for me personally, what's really important is the ROI. And it's how much money can, no, I'm just kidding. No, the ROI is how much collaboration can I get out of this, right? What's the value in the people that I'm going to be able to have conversations with? Because let's be honest, and the pandemic taught us this, right? We can do everything virtual. It is possible. We've been through extremely long, complex sales cycles with large financial institutions where we never met in person. It is physically possible, but it ain't as much fun. Right. You don't build the connections, you know, right? You can accomplish the goal. You know, we can install software remotely. Hell, I can double click and install stuff on my desktop myself. But if I had the person there, I get that knowledge transfer, that, you know, that little bit of touch time as things are going. And I feel like it builds a better long-term relationship. I, I get to ask questions that come up in the moment that I can't plan for. I could send you a list of 12 questions, 
But if you're in person and I ask you the first question, I may have a better question that comes up than the a next question on my list, right? And so yeah. I, I feel like that ROI, that return on investment of my emotional investment in conferences is something I look for totally. in conferences, right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, you know, so it's when we look at it as an organization, we do. We look at it as, you know, what's the opportunity for us to have conversations, you know, that further our, you know, our collaboration in the industry and further our opportunity to create awareness about who we are, what we do, and obviously, you know, connect with customers, prospective customers, sure. et cetera. So we, yeah. we look at, you know, who's going to be in attendance. Does it meet with, you know, the types of people that we need to, you know, network with at the uh, institution or, you know, the right types of institutions? You know, Jack Henry Credit Union would be a perfect example, right? It makes a lot of sense for us to go to a Jack Henry conference. Why? We have a really strong partnership with Jack Henry in a ton of different facets. And we have a bunch of customers that utilize a lot of our products and a lot of Jack Henry products. So it's very important for us to build relationships with other key vendors for our customers. So that makes, you know, kind of that decision-making process easy. And then, you know, kind of going back to how do we think about some of it from just, you know, what do I go to is I'll give you actually a really perfect prime example. Next year's an interesting one. And the first big conference of the year is actually the first two big conferences of the year. And somehow they both got scheduled at the exact same time. And that's the oh. CUNA GAC conference and the FinTech meetup. One's in really? DC, one's in Vegas, and they are the exact same dates. Exact same. And it's physically impossible for me to be at both. So the question is, which one do I go to or yeah. either, right? And so we look at, okay, well, what's the you know networking value at something like the FinTech meetup? Well, it's called Spade, right? That's a great one for our sales team to go and network with prospective sure. customers because yeah. you get to have really genuine, like, you know, almost, dare I say it on air, like Tinder level matching. It's like, hey, oh, yeah. I want to talk yeah. about digital banking. Do you want to? And if the answer is yes, we'll get a 15 minute meeting at FinTech Meetup, right? Sure. So it makes a lot of sense for them and our partnerships team like Jared to go and be able to have conversations about, you know, potential yeah. partnerships to expand our ecosystem. And then, you know, what is GAC? GAC is all about kind of the grassroots efforts of right. ensuring that our industry, you know, has the ability to maintain relevancy and to be able to, you know, really kind of, you know, further the mission of what credit unions are doing for, you know, the U.S. financial ecosystem. And so and somewhere being like- being seen there, right? Being seen there as a vendor alongside passionate credit unions that are pursuing that mission is not only do, do you get a chance to have a talk with somebody- but just being there and and showing the support is is something, right? I mean, there's an awful lot of vendors that are willing to sell people stuff. God, how many are there? But if you're in the trenches with them, trying to make sure that credit unions stay relevant, stay in, in you know, as a point of value for our members moving forward, that's also something about being part of the credit union uh, vendor ecosystem, right? You got to be Absolutely. in for a penny, in for a pound. And so, yeah, that's a tough set of conferences. Those are two I don't usually go to. So, but I spend an awful lot of time on teams, like ready to answer questions that are sent to me by people who do. By people so who do. I am, <laughs> I, I, I am like, and that's the worst than GAC, to be honest, worse than FinTech. Cause at least the FinTech meetups, they're not as crazy as you'll run across a, you know, 7 PM out at the food and mingle. And I'm getting someone from somebody's phone saying, Hey, do we do this? And I'm like, I'm halfway through a burger, you know, and I'm like, well, fine, I'll answer this one too. You know, I mean, but that's the type of questions you get, right? You just never know those type of conferences. So 
Do you have you ever gone to money 2020? Uh, or money funny whatever. Enough, so I did not go this year. It was uh, actually last week, based right? on Vegas, uh, when we're recording right? this. But Marcel, our uh, chief commercial officer, uh, Keith, the head of our payments division, and Cortez, one of our product managers from that team, they were there. They were just kind of a, a boots on the ground, epic, you know, mercenary guerrilla warfare team, just doing their thing, hustling. I think they probably, you know, in total between the three of them over three days, probably slept a total of three hours. Yeah, yeah that's it's a on my bucket one. list. I've it's I've never been. I've never yeah, been to the fintech meetup or money. And but it's on my it's and I don't necessarily even need to. I think I just want to go there to experience the creativity and the uh, energy on the floor, because I feel like there are a lot of there are a lot of up and comers and there's a lot of the usual suspects. And I feel like they totally. all generate a different type of dialogue on what's coming down pipe for products, services, et cetera. And I didn't, wouldn't even need to be there with a Jack Henry shirt on. I think I just love roaming the floor, right? I just feel like that's the type of place that something interesting would happen. And I'd like to be there to experience something interesting. Well, I feel like you probably have enough miles to get a free ticket to Vegas for that. I so do. Just throwing it I there. do. But, you know, it's <laughs> opportunity cost. That's the other thing, right? So back to yours. You choose A or choose B. If you choose B, you choose not to do A, right? That is hard. And so that's part of the conference cycle too, is when you choose to go to A, you're listing B, C, and D that you're probably not going to go to. And that always makes it tough. Yeah, that is hard. I think that's hard for personalities like ours too, right? Where again, like the whole reason we want to go to those types of events is to work on the collaboration with others in our industry that helps us to grow and expand. And, you know, like, the case in point of fintech meetup and GAC for me, like there's so much additional value in me going to GAC from the advocacy side of things. The fact that we talked about earlier, like I'm a board member for a credit union. So, you know, sometimes it's, it helps make that decision a lot easier. Right. Yeah. But if it's like, man, two similar types of conferences on different sides of the country and you can't be at both or quite frankly, like it comes down to the point of, you know, you're also there's a sacrifice of the at home time and the family time. That's along the with third it. leg of the stool, right? It's what it's good for the company, what's good for your own, you know, thing. But then there's a cost on the other side. Right. So how many days or maybe this? How many miles did you travel this last year? Do you think? Well, if I do a last minute Portland to Orlando, get off the plane, walk do a cycle. back You'll on be 100K? and fly back, I'll probably be 100K this year. Wow. So yeah. just for those of you listening, like that's kind of the life that the JBF and I live, right? Is, you know, 100,000 miles on a single airline that doesn't take yeah, into account the Yeah, that's not counting the ones I that took. you couldn't. And, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, you add so, all that up and you know, the one that actually I hate the most is logging into my Hilton account. Because that tells you how many nights away from home you've been. And it's the it very first thing you hurts. see when you log in. It is. It's like, I think they think it's something we want to know. Yeah. But it's the points is what I, like I want to know. Very... Don't tell me how many days I've not been, yeah. you know, in my own bed, relaxing and you know, having a cup of coffee with my wife the next morning. Trust me. I know. I, yeah, I, 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 I know. I, I, I know. I, I feel my soul. it in my soul. <laughs> yeah. when, when I wake up, I was laughing. I was at one uh, Hampton Inn. And, you know, they do, you know, they do waffles there. There's one thing for waffles breakfast. And I kid you not, I go there and their waffle was in the state of Texas was the waffle. And I'm like going, is this to let business travelers know where you are when you come in late at night and you're not sure what state you you're in? You just don't remember where you've Just been. to let you know, your breakfast lets you know where you're traveling to. Hey, you're in to. Texas right now. <laughs> you're in Texas today. You thought you were in Louisiana, but nope, you're in Texas, Josh. 
you just forgot that trip between this other trip. So there you go. Well, and it's like the, um, what's the Alaska Airlines, if you're gold or higher, right? Right. On any flight, if you're uh, not in first class, they always give you a chocolate. Yes. And I always love when, you know, the Alaska Airlines attendant, like, gives me my chocolate and says, you know, thank you for your business. And the person next to me has never seen somebody get one of these chocolates. And they're like, hey, how'd you get a chocolate? I want a chocolate. I'm like, no, you don't. Trust me. What this chocolate tells me is how many nights I've been away from my family. Like, that's what this chocolate tells me. It's also made with smoked sea salt. But this is what, like, what I'm missing in my chocolate is smoked salt. What? Why you hate on the horrible. smoked salt? It's, it's so horrible. Good. The what are you, mint oh my ones gosh. are no so way. much better. Okay, the mint the ones mint are good. Ones are, it's like the smoked salt are like, thank you for participating. Okay, you know the one that I didn't think would be amazing, though, that I miss is the, like, crispy quinoa one. See, that that makes me feel like we're one step away from carob. Uh, like somebody's the- trying to sneak in food. You know, boy, this guy looks like he needs more quinoa in his life. <laughs> Right here. Here you go. You feeling regular as you can be? Here's some something special in your chocolate. And I'm like, no, thank you. I'm just it's saying. It's like a Rice Krispie treat and chocolate. It, you know what would be it's like beautiful. a Rice Krispie treat and chocolate? Rice Krispie Rice Krispie treat yeah. and chocolate. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. So wow, back we're, to your we're cycle. So now. I know we're, we're getting into the weeds of travel. But so when you think about conferences, just selfishly for me, is it easier for you to go to a conference if you're presenting or just working a booth or just roaming the floor? Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Because I, back to your comment, there's something you get personally out of attending the conference versus what your company needs for you to, to attend the conference. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, for me personally, one of my favorites is when I get to be on a panel. Ooh, I think yeah. that's a lot of fun. Because then I get the opportunity to kind of do like what we're doing here, right? And right. usually it's in a little bit more condensed format. But I'm a huge fan of respective arguing and just of presenting different positions. You know, I'm one of those people that really loves to, like, I like my friend group to think differently than me, right? Sure. And not completely align, whether, you know, politically, religiously, you know, professionally, because I want to hear other people's perspectives and maybe somebody will change mine. Right. right? And so that's what I love about panels is you get an opportunity to, like, have some discourse with somebody and, you know, banter back and forth. And it gives the audience an opportunity to kind of like this podcast, right? Like see the behind the curtains, like what's really working in the back of the brain, what makes me tick and think about our industry in this way, or maybe this problem or this solution in our industry this way. And, you know, what do others think about my position on that? I, I think that's really cool. So I like that. I want to be as uh, emotionally aware as you are about why you like that. I am the other way. I have to present enough that I like panels because personally, I have to do a lot less. <laughs> right? You don't have to I mean, prep as if, much. If I'm PowerPointing you to death, I have to have 37 flights that have been vetted. I have to have, is it is this a then or a van? Because the under the red doesn't go up underneath it if it's misspelled. And you know, I have all this content. But if I'm on a panel or I'm facilitating a panel, I says, hey Joshua, what do you think? No, it's wrong, but okay. How about you, Bob? Okay. Any questions? And I'm like, that was an hour of content. I didn't have to do jack squat for it. Crowd loves it because the crowd loves to hear smart people talking about smart things. And I'm up there just stealing sexy next to smart people on a panel. I'm like going, this is brought to you by me. You're welcome. You're welcome. 
No, you know, I was laughing while you were talking about that too, because I'm sure, what are we, let's uh, check the time clock. We're 22 minutes and 56 seconds into recording. Wow. Um, and for our Jack Henry marketing team that is listening, I'm sure they're sitting there just biting their nails furiously like, ah, oh, what's he going to say? Because, uh, yeah, you know, they, they usually the get a chance to edit all of your they try. goes. <laughs> the, market, the marketing people, I mean, I, I try to, you know, be involved in social media. I try to keep track of stuff. The video production people at Jack Henry love me because I'm a one take person. I'm I'm like, let's just do this thing. We'll do it live. And they're all like, yes. And then marketing is like, no, no. Oh, no. gosh. Let's what's just gonna slow do? this thing down. <laughs> what's wrong with taking four or five recordings and taking the best of the best? I'm like going, I think every time I reach re-say something, it gets dumber every single time <laughs> I say it. So your first take is the best you're going to get from me. But that's why I love you in this kind of format too, right? Is, you know, again, like this is a lot of, I think the the power of having these types of conversations sure. is you really get to understand like how did people arrive at the point versus just hearing the point. And I think there's a lot of value in hearing and even watching people struggle through their own thought process, which, you know, I say just defend myself because I struggle through my thought process a lot. So that's my prefacing, like why that's a good thing. No. But I, so, uh, I shift around in my seat when I'm wasting time trying to think of something smart, as you can see. <laughs> well, hopefully you've wasted enough to think of something smart to say, because, you know, I want to kind of reverse this back. And so sure. how do you think about, especially, you know, really you're on the circuit a lot up yeah. there presenting, talking about things that are, you know, what you believe are relevant in our industry and, you know, positions and perspectives on how people should be thinking about or approaching them. To what you were, you know, I alluded to in your intro, right? Like you're looking for that chocolate and peanut butter moment of, hey, there's, I'm sure this group of people in the crowd has a question. My hope is right. that my presentation is the answer to that question. How do you come up with all of that? Like, wh how do you keep your finger on the pulse of what's important? And how do you build content sure. around that? I'd like to think that I'd like to say that it's because, you know, I have this deep insight to the credit union culture. It's not. I think it's the the fact for the last, God, 20 plus years, I've I've really tried to facilitate access to myself for clients. I mean, vendors, clients, coworkers, I'm accessible. And so when I try to create presentations out to, let's say, the user groups or, you know, JJ Connect that was just a couple of weeks ago, almost all my stuff is based on if I go back three months in my email box, what questions are people asking me off channel? Because I have, for every person that stops me in person and asks me a question at a conference, I know that there are 50 or 60 of those similar people who don't have access to me or don't maybe don't know me well enough or don't have uh, a channel to, to get a hold of me. And so I just keep track of those type of questions and figure out, okay, how do I... How do I present this question that Josh asked me about this type of custom workflow that is really just bothering the credit union? It's really just creating some friction between A and B. And then we just dig into, you know, hey, this is how ABC Credit Union fixed it. I, I very rarely have to go in to say this is how Jack Henry fixes something because, you know, we're the tech stack. We're not necessarily, I mean, we do develop stuff too. That's fine. But our clients consuming our tech stack is where we out pace everybody and being a chance to tell clients about how the other clients address a problem that's that peanut butter and chocolate moment for me i mean our clients love to understand how other clients 
have faced the same challenges they have and have come out the other side doing better, or to be honest, have faced a challenge, couldn't address it, and then changed their mindset and went at it a different way. And so I think that the piece is that our clients have a hard time connecting with all, you know, thousands of other credit union people, right? But I am kind of a, you know, the spoken wheel concept. I am a, I get connected to by a lot of clients, a lot of vendors and a lot of other people. And so I keep track of that stuff. And so I actually try to create examples, uh, follow-ups, et cetera, for all my presentations that bring in that type of information to our, you know, that our clients have already asked me questions. I rarely break new ground when my presentations, because I don't need to, I figure my presentations should be to extend the cool stuff that our other client, that our clients are doing, extend the cool stuff or extend the successes or overcoming a challenge that our clients or other vendors have done. And so I feel like that, that creates impact that allows someone to walk away from one of my sessions going, if nothing else, I had a great burger last night at the local bar and I got this question answered from JBF. So it was worth the flight to Poughkeepsie, you know, I mean, wherever the conference may be. And so I think that I probably feel like I present too much. But on the other hand, as long as I feel like I'm presenting ideas and concepts that could help answer questions, I feel like I am presenting just enough, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think that's actually a great, I was thinking about what you're talking about. It's, I, I think that's one of the reasons why things like Reddit have become so successful, yeah. right? Oh, God, people yeah. are looking for community and collaboration around yeah. a question. And, you know, I, I think are a lot more likely to maybe, you know, go to a forum and say, hey, before I try and tackle this myself, because has anybody else, you know, put in their own sprinkler system? Just curious, like, yeah. What was the process like? Is this something I should do? Will I ultimately save money on it? Right. And they could see somebody that's done it before. And so I think that's a lot of what, you know, your ecosystem is looking for is they're looking for yeah. a central point to take, you know, a lot of the questions and say, Hey, a lot of you have been asking, like, should you do your own sprinkler system? Yeah. So let me walk you through it. Right. I use the term build by borrower steal. Right. I mean, I'm not an auditor. I'm not in compliance. I'm there to help you bury the body. Right. You know, I mean, I, I'm not in judgment or nothing like that. So for someone ask me a question, I'll say, you know, yeah, that, that is a challenge, but Hey, just want to let you know, if you connect with this credit union, they've walked a mile in those moccasins. You should ask them about how they did it. Uh, am yeah. I going to be able to give you their solution? No, but your credit unions. So if credit unions talking to credit unions about creating solutions, that's, you know, that's part of that culture. That's part of the, the that grassroots flavor that you were talking about. I think yeah. that allows them to develop and innovate as big shops when they're just smaller shops, right? Because they get to listen and learn and interact in a big culture circle versus if you're in a single conglomerate that doesn't allow sharing, that doesn't allow talking about the solution that you've done. If you didn't do it, it's never been done. Right. So, yeah, it, that's why I like credit unions so much. I think they I love the fact that they're willing to talk to each other and share. It makes a huge difference. But I, one little side comment just for, sure. you know, my podcast production team. Um, oh. Let's probably maybe not pull out just without any context. The quote of I help bury the bodies just, you know, throw yeah, it that's <laughs> if you could cut that out and send it to me in a gif or something or is it GIF? I don't know. 
if you can actually, be that if would... anybody answers that question, like <laughs> that's yeah. what... that's it. That was it. You can just do like this and have it pop up like as a bubble, and that would be just my. I can put that as my LinkedIn image. I can help we... bury the bodies. The first slide in all your future presentations. Hi, yeah, I'm here to help it. bury the bodies. Absolutely. <laughs> now, actually, one of my first slides, I'll have to ask you real quick. This is complete segue. Do you have your Jeopardy moment defined? You know, when you go on Jeopardy and they ask you a question about you and they, you know, hey, it's Alex Trebek. Hey, Josh, tell me about yourself. And they, you know, they do a little, you know, what makes you different or whatever. So I've been working on those and been using those in my PowerPoints because I honestly believe that if I throw something out honest, genuine, and self-effacing to the crowd, they feel more comfortable and they're willing to a answer uh, and ask me questions later. It's uh, it's just one of those things where, it, you know, they're going to have some random person talk to you. You might as well let them know you're a human. And so I encourage you. First of all, I look forward to what yours is because I fear it's going to be really good. You know, working at a gunpowder factory. Let's not, let's save that for a different, let's save that for a different podcast. But guys, I don't know if you guys know, but trained ammo maker here <laughs> in his youth, in his youth. Whatever that uh, Jeopardy moment for you is, I'm waiting for it. And I well, you know, what's funny amazing. is that story actually is my credit union story, too. So, you know, fun fact, there's actually uh, some content that's floating around that we produced that I produced in conjunction with my credit union to tell my credit union story. Oh. So, um, I don't know, maybe I, like some extra credit if anybody digs it up and, I'll be looking. and says they read it and know the story, I'll, I'll send them a, a <sighs> bottle of whiskey or something. No, you know, I, I really do think that is one of the super valuable elements to you know, what makes this industry really special is exactly that is being able to, you know, kind of ask the questions and ask it in a safe place. I, I know that sounds right. silly to say, but I think, you know, not to toot your horn too much for you, but I think that is one of the things that makes you really special, sir, is that genuineness. And, you know, I think a lot of how you do it is through things like self-deprecating humor and things yeah. like that, but it, it really does. It sets a different tone with your audience. You know, I, I love going to these conferences where you see the same, no offense, I'm going to say it bluntly, like washed up speaker over and over again. There's some motivational speaker. They give me some talk. And I love to hear the stories from people whose net worth is in the, you know, far more digits than I'll ever make in my entire life. I connect Telling with me him how now. they're connecting with me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally. We have the same now. problems. Yeah. I myself have written a multi-billion yeah. dollar making book. <laughs> About how I came from nothing. And so exactly. now I can't wait for him to tell me how to be more innovative. Yes. 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 Uh, so I was going to say, I was gonna say so, back, yeah, go hit me. I was going to say, oh, no, I, I was just going to say, yeah, you guys, I, I think that's what makes you really special is it, yeah. it, it kind of lowers that barrier for people where they're like, yeah. ah, you know what? He's just another real dude. Like he's just another person. He's just another human trying to make his way and figure this out. And he's not on some, you know, pedestal where, he has all the answers and it's, you know, my privilege to get to ask him for his answers. It's more so like, hey, I am a part of this day in and day out and I truly care about the outcomes. So I genuinely am looking for the questions and then I'm genuinely looking to find answers that'll provide value back to the industry I care. Uh, that's special. So, uh, for conferences, sometimes I'll do stump the chump where I actually open up the mic and they can just ask me random questions. And I'll kid you, 70% I don't know. But I feel like even that's important because I feel like a lot of the developers out in credit union land are probably more like me than young 
you know, there are a lot of young, excited, tech-forward people, but a lot of us have stumbled into technology for credit unions. I know a lot of credit union people that came from the branches, from operations, people that have showed a passionate connection with the Scimitar database, and now they've become, now they're IT operators or IT business analysts. So yes, uh, there are a lot of people who have computer science backgrounds, who have, you know, formal development backgrounds. Absolutely. And they're doing amazing things. But there are a lot of also old dogs or people like myself who've pivoted from other industries. And so sometimes listening and talking to somebody who's can explain to you saying, hey, just because you don't have a PhD on data science doesn't understand, you know, doesn't mean you can't look at your database and say, hey, why can't I get everyone's email address? Right. I mean, there there's ways around that. And I feel like having that type of collaborative meeting. That's what I look back to the comment about conferences. I look for that chance to actually have a conference who cares about getting collaboration and opportunities for us just to organically talk to each other. I don't want to be programmed every hour on the hour, go in there and read another PowerPoint presentation. Again, I could do that remotely at home. I, I want access to sit down and talk to clients. I want to be able to ask questions. I want to be able to ask questions of me. And I think that's what sets good conferences apart for me. And fortunately, we have a lot of those in the credit union cycle. I mean, whether yeah. it's the SIM user cycles, the SIM East, SIM Central, SIM West, I think some of the CUNITECH conferences allow pretty good access. They do have some breakouts in there that allow you to actually go in and follow up on good questions. And so that type of cycle of conferences for me really make a difference for me. So I, you know, I have to ask then, so what are the questions that you feel like are getting asked a lot lately? Like what seems to be top of mind for folks uh, from your seat? Well, there's staffing, of course, just where do I find people to hire? And that's never, it's never stopped. But it's changed because as the tech stacks get a little more complicated, whether it's di business, you know, whether it's digital platforms for your digital providers, whether it's your core platforms getting more and more digital adjacent, there is a, a generic question of how do I hire people or how do I train my existing staff on new tech stacks? So I'm a classic programmer. I learned Power On from a book and Power On is the, you know, the architecture that of old school, you know, core programming. And the fact for someone old school like me had to learn HTML5, JavaScript, and CSS is frightening. It's just frightening. You know, I, I still have problems with JavaScript after all these years. I'm like, something is equal to something, but something is equal to something. And then something is equal to something. That's just intellectually lazy as a designer of a program, right? An equal sign should just mean something. Three equal signs in a row means something different than one equal sign. Laziness. And so it's just hard for me to grasp some of that stuff. So when I get calls from IT development teams and stuff saying, hey, how do I, how do we encourage people to learn new technologies on the job, right? Let's say they're already good at their job, but now they need to learn a new technology. That's one of the questions I got. AI's coming up. I am... I'm trying to learn it and I'm not learning very well. I think it's old synapses. I think too many smoked chocolates in the air, maybe. I don't know. There's a plaque, you know, across my synapses, though it's not sticking very well. I'm just now starting to understand how it's going to selfishly help me. But that doesn't mean I can understand how it's going to selfishly help my my role and my company and, and members yet, right? If I can't understand how I can consume it, how am I going to visualize how other people are going to, you know, create value out of it? Um, can, 
Can, can we yeah, pause on that one real quick? Sure. Actually, if you don't mind, because I think that this is a really big topic right now. And what I find yeah. really interesting about it is there's a couple of layers to this. For starters, we've joked about it many times, and I laugh and say we should rebrand as Typhoon.ai because it'll double yeah. our sales overnight. Oh, good God. Right. Wow. These like guys how are How many companies? Edge. Yeah. How many companies have just added like .ai at the end or how many Yeah, AI what's .io too? I think they're yeah. all cheating now. Yeah. Yeah. You're just trying to be techie, right? So I think there's a lot of people that can say, well, you know, we used AI to help write our company mission statement. So we're totally an AI company, right? Like, I mean, so I think that's what I'm getting right. at is the kind of the crux of the problem is there's so many different use cases and examples of what AI means. And that's been really confusing. You know, I won't name any names, but it was actually a really awesome conversation I had with one of the CEOs of one of our credit unions. And, you know, he and I met up at a conference. And one of the things I love to do at conferences is I love to walk the show floor with my sure. credit unions and be like, oh, hey, yeah. what are you looking at? What's interesting? And the CEO made the comment to me. He said, so for this next year, we have uh, an AI strategy and that Ooh. is a part of our strategic mission. And I was like, awesome. Tell me it. What is it? And he goes, no, our strategy is AI. We're, we're going to use more. And I was like, that's not a strategy. I love you to death. That's not a strategy. Like, what does that mean? That's like going to a buffet you... and deciding I'm going to go back. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'd like another please. Yeah. It's yeah. like, there's so many options and flavors to that. So what right. are you actually going to use? How are you going to implement it? What are the metrics of success of that? And how are you going to evaluate? Yeah. And ultimately it led us to a really fascinating conversation about, okay, what are the problems you're actually trying to solve? And then does AI solve those? And then how, and then what's the process look like to integrate that into that strategic planning, right? Yeah. So when I think of AI, of course, the early table stakes is chat. And when I think of chat, I think of me yelling the word agent over until someone hands me a live person. So I, I realize that's one end of the spectrum. And I realize over here on the other end of the bell curve is genius. So I just haven't figured out how I go from JBF yelling agent until I can finally get the airline person on the call to help me versus something over here happens and AI is cost effective and makes my margin better, right? I know it gets there. I just haven't ran across it myself. And I think that's because I haven't consumed it enough myself to understand where it can impact all the, the, the bottom line of, of financial institutions. Yeah. I, you know, again, I think this comes back to use cases, right? Right. And this is one of the things that I just personally, I love to kind of introduce into all of my conversations with people is, you know, what's the use case and what's the objective you're trying to actually solve? And then how do you define success out of that? Right. And so again, that comes back to, so what are all the different use cases that you have for AI? And it's really when the question comes up of, you know, what do you know about AI or what do you think about AI or how should my credit union be using AI? The question for me first is just, what are you trying to solve? Right. Because there's so many different low hanging fruit elements. You know, personally, I think I'll say it right here. Like if you're not using chat GPT to help with some of just your operational tasks, you're missing out. <laughs> I mean, literally the other day, I, this was last Friday. I'm no kidding, JBF. I was working on something that I needed to get done before the weekend because I had to get it out to the team. It was an update on some things that were happening, but it was kind of an outside process. And, you know, I, I just needed to type all of this up. And I was like, I mean, this is going to take me an hour plus easily to put all this together. 
So I went over to ChatGPT. I gave it my criteria. I said, this is what I need. Wow. It spit it out. And it was so good. It had even thought of a few things that I hadn't thought of. I augmented it, changed it slightly to be a little bit in my voice because it was going to internal team members sure, to give them an yeah, update on things. Sure. Tone and, maybe, and tenor. Yeah. Yeah, you exactly. can't expect chat GPT to give you tone and tenor. No. And it was phenomenal, right? And it, the whole process took me a total of seven minutes. So the thing that I really you know, highlighted about this was quite literally what that did. That was the last thing I needed to do for the day. And wow. either meant that I needed to work through that and my wife had to cook dinner by herself and we were probably going to have dinner late. But Chad GPT meant that I got to help with dinner and we had dinner on time. Right. So like that's a really clear okay. example of how it had a phenomenal positive impact. But you can't just say like we're just going to use Chad GPT more. Right? right. That's not an I answer. Mean, it's yeah. How are you going to use it? What are you going to use it for? And then, you know, again, you know, how do you measure the success out of that? That's we're just gonna have more of our members use the digital channel. Yeah. See. Okay. Right. And we'll be more profitable then. And there we go. That's my strategy. You know, I mean, yeah. So I've actually been looking at it from so taking a look at it, having it reconsume, you know, my JavaScript is weak. My JavaScript mojo is very weak. And so I've been using it for, you know, bits and pieces of taking a look at it. The way that I'm doing it, is it the most efficient way? You know, am I, you know, is there any way that I'm keeping track of my variables? It's like that. It, you know, I, it's not as good as if I could just hand it to Josh, the JavaScript genius and have Josh give me back, you know, you're going to coach me back knowing the end user, right? This is an old dog. I have to be careful on my tone and tenor with him or I'll scare him away from JavaScript, right? I'm not getting that back from that. So I, I do feel like it, it creates value, but as a connector, as a person who gets organic interactivity, it's not the same, right? As if I could call up the, a coworker who's also really good at JavaScript and say, I'm calling in that favor. Remember when I bought you lunch? Okay, here we go. Let's walk through this. You know, I'm, I'm going to get more, but that does cost. That's an opportunity cost of me, that person's time, and I have to align our schedules. So I just need to figure out to be more comfortable on using on, on, on using a AI to facilitate tasks for me or to give me feedback where I'm, you know, not feeling like someone cut and pasting something from a book I probably should have read. And that's why I didn't yeah. know the answer. Right. Yeah. And so it's a perception issue, I think, with me. But I do. I think a lot more people are probably like me and they're concerned about consuming AI than probably like yourself, who's, you know, probably have good use cases, good selfish use cases, you know, anything saves me 53 minutes. I'd do that in a heartbeat, but you know, I, I don't have those yet. And so I don't think it comes to mind as easy for me because I've not had the personal impactful use cases for my own consumption so far. Well, I think part of that too, is that, you know, like anything else, right. It's understanding what it can and can't do helping to identify those use cases, right? And if you think about something like was used, you know, chat GPT is the example, right? A, a lot of what the beauty of that AI is access to exponentially more data and history than anyone is going to have here. Sure. And the ability to call it in a conversational manner, right? So I'll give you a great example of this. So our CEO, Siva, uses the snot out of it and he uses it all sorts of stuff. And he's always coming to me with these new use cases. And 
you know, recently he had to like take his daughter's car to the Oregon DEQ or the like emissions sure. office. Yeah. And Ziva, you know, I love the man to death. He's arguably one of the smartest people on the planet that I know. He's just not a car guy. <laughs> this is not his thing. Right. He's smart in other areas. And he was like, I needed to plug something into the OBD2 sensor of the car. And he's like, I couldn't find this thing. I don't know what it looks like. And he goes, so I went to Google. And I kept typing in, you know, the exact make and model of the car, show me videos, all of this. He'd find a video on YouTube and it was like a different model and it was in a different right. place. And he fought with it forever, still couldn't figure it out. He goes, I'm curious what chat GPT will say. So he goes to chat GPT and he says, he talks like a human. He just says, Hey, look, I'm trying to find, you know, this OBD2 port for this make model and car and give me step-by-step -step instructions on how to find this stupid thing. And chat GPT literally first go around says, okay, sit down in the driver's seat. Now use your left hand oh, and reach below the, you know, the headlight switch about three inches. And then over to the right, you'll feel a prong that has 12. It's like prescriptive. And it was talking to him like a person would talk to right. him that yeah. really knew what they were talking about. Right. And so it's really, when you think about kind of AI, it's the access yeah. to and the ability to crunch and simplify larger volumes of data than, you know, the human brain is going to be able to comprehend. And I think kind of using that as a little bit of the guiding light, especially for simpletons like myself, of what are the use cases that I could actually use something like this for? And then you can start to really extrapolate it out to, okay, so... If we were to have a, you know, quote unquote, AI strategy around, you know, our database, right. like what could it do? <laughs> what are my pain points there? What are my use cases? And then how could the applications help solve for those? That's where it gets So how, how do you see credit unions being able to consume it with the concept of intellectual property boundaries of whether or not they have all these vendor contracts, you know, with all these that have different interpretation rules of how their stuff could go? Is that you think people are going to start having their own independent sandboxes of AI? The the framework is there, but the information that they add to the existing model can't go into the wild. That's the stuff that I see that some credit unions are struggling with right now is that they, they don't know the rules around how they can put in cont content. Let's say, yeah, they they got Typhoon, they got Jack Henry, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm going to put in my entire relief notes. And then it'll let me know things. Well, yeah, but if you take a look at the fine print, some of those things say, well, you know, you can't share release notes with somebody who's also not a consumer or has a contract with fill in the blank. So I think that as more stuff comes out on that type of consumption, I could see start credit unions going out there. Now, I know tons of credit unions are already out there leading this. They had some really interesting examples. In fact, even at CU Build this year, we had actually some AI c consumption for some of the solutions at CU build, but they were, you know, they, you know, these are 32, you know, 36 hour, you know, skunk work projects. Of course, you know, they wanted it to create a website for them. So they told the AI to create a website for this thing for them. It was amazing. But I, I think though credit unions have always been willing to push the boundaries on technology, but have always been contract aware about where the inherent risks are. And so I think that's still one of the things that's keeping credit unions from putting in a lot of their own content right now because they're not sure how that works in the scheme of things from a from an intellectual property legal standpoint. Man, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's a really fascinating concept of 
you know, a lot of what makes our industry one that people can trust, which is very important in our industry, Correct. is the safeguards that are in place, right? That yeah. are the regulations and the rules and compliance and all the yeah. things that go into ensuring that, you know, this is a safe institution to put, you know, that whole thing called your entire life savings or whatever it may be into it. Yeah. Right. But it's coupled with being met with, you know, this force of ridiculously fast innovation. Yeah. And it's almost like that, you know, immovable object meets an unstoppable force. And how do you reconcile those things? And I think, you know, that is a really big problem for, you know, specifically the community financial institution space is how do we leverage adapt to these, you know, new AI tools and still maintain regulatory compliance. And at the same time where the regulatory you know, framework may not even exist. So no. they don't even know. Yeah. Right? It's, they it's, don't have to me, it's different where Bitcoin was, where there's a group of people already Bitcoining. You could buy a pizza with a Bitcoin, but as a regulatory concept, as a fiduciary product, it didn't even exist on anyone's radar. But Josh was buying pizza with Bitcoin already. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, there's a there's this lag that and in that window of lag is both opportunity and risk. Yeah, totally. Well, and to your point, right, like one of the big ones for financial institutions is PII or personally identifiable right. information, yep. right? And and how do you both leverage that data without risking, you know, all the, the bad stuff that comes along with misuse of that, yeah. right? Whether intentional or unintentional. Because ChatGPT or other AI systems require understanding of the secret sauce to create value, but exposing secret sauce in itself creates possibly inherent risks downstream that you may not yourself even know because how much do you know about that next layer of that information and how it's going to be consumed by other people? Dude, yeah, exactly. Well, and so, you know, that leads to kind of the next problem for, you know, community financial institutions leveraging this is why does chat GPT work so well? Because right. the volume of data that's fed into it. Yeah. Right. I'm going to say this with all due respect. If you're a $500 million credit, if you're a $2 billion credit, hell, if you're a $10 billion credit, you don't have enough data. I'm sorry. You just don't. Yeah. It's a small sample size. In the grand scheme yeah. of things, it's a small sample size. Sure. The 100% you of the data. You know how your members your have acted, members. right? Exactly. Yeah. But you can't generically say, and that's funny. I have one last question selfishly for you. When I think of, when I think of you, I feel of a younger person than probably you are. So I see a lot of digital banking questions out there about how people consume technology. And so I've always wanted to do this one. Do you believe you fit in the mold of how you consume banking technology as you would be put in your age group by a generic bubble? Because I'm over, I'm 54. I've got a face of a 90-year-old. I am 54. I don't believe I consume banking technology as a 54-year-old, right? I feel like my Venn diagram is over, but, you know, but I, somewhere someone out there tells me that's how 54-year-olds should probably act like this. So for yourself, do you consider yourself in the Venn or outside the Venn of where you would fit if we were to throw you with all banking persons of this person's age would consume technology fill in the blank? Yeah. I mean, so the problem with that is that I work for a technology company for financial institutions. So I think that skews my data slightly because I don't know how I would quite interact if I wasn't a part of the industry. 
You know, what's fascinating is we actually did some research earlier this year into just kind of the personas of how people, you know, leverage their financial institution for products and services that are available and their propensity to tech. And I mm-hmm. use propensity as a very important word. I don't say yeah, it, their it's a ability word, but or yeah, desire, right. right? Right. Because they may have the ability, but their desire may be low or their desire may be high, but their ability may be low, Right. So just their propensity to actually utilize the technology. And if you plot that out on a graph where, you know, one is the X and one is the Y, and we look at where people fall in terms of, you know, how close to you as their primary financial institution are they versus, you know, are they a single product? Are they, a you know, an indirect auto loan or, you know, a single savings account or is their entire financial life with you, right? And if you kind of look at that, what I find interesting is if you really look at that data, if you look at it at an individual institution, it may vary somewhat. Sure. But if you look at it across global data, right. It's all over the place. Yeah. Right? If the bucket is larger, the larger the sample you have. And exactly. I think that's some of the issues that I have with credit unions in general. And it's not necessarily an issue. I think it's one of the challenges that I see them and one of the issues that they address is they do perceive the 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 member data they have determines how the members, the next member of that group will act. And that's a small data set. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, it gives you an idea of risk performance, maybe. It'll give you the margin, but I can't say because I have 3,200 members in this age group that my 3,200 and first member is going to want exactly the product mix yeah. and interact with the banking the same way, right? It's not, I think the propensity, you know, your examples are spot on in the fact that it gives us some insight, but shouldn't allow us to create too thick of lines on how we would put people in in bucket. I want to give you a, an example that I absolutely love. So it's an example from World War II. And in World War II, they would have all of these bombers that kept getting shot down. And so the military said, we need to up armor these planes to make sure that they don't get shot down. So what they did was they analyzed a bunch of planes that came home and they looked at where they were getting hit. They looked at all the bullet holes and they said, reinforce those areas. Nothing changed. Planes kept getting shot down. Somebody came back to them and said, well, it's because we're looking at our data wrong. Yeah. We're looking at all the planes that came home and where they were shot, which tells us it's okay to get shot there. Right. We need to look at now, all we the just areas. Made those places heavier. Right. Yeah. Yep. And so we need to look at the areas where there are no bullet holes in the planes because that tells us no plane has come home after getting shot in that area. And let's up yeah. armor those areas. And what sure. happened? They noticed the statistical difference in the number of planes that were shot down. Right. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about Ooh. here is if we say, hey, I want to look at all of my entire current member base. And right. I'm going to continue to do everything I can to make sure that I'm, you know, attracting members like them. But instead, there's a huge group of people that almost became Going a member here. of your credit union right. and didn't. So why yeah. didn't they? And how the can Sesame you serve Street, them? One of these things are not like the other, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're only looking to get what you got, then do what you're doing. Then do what you're doing. Right? And so I, I, th- I love, I love that analogy. I, I, I like that, that the World War II piece. That's a good one. 
Well, and I think that too goes back to what we were just talking about, right? Uh, so that is the problem with, and that's where we say with all due respect that, you, you know, your one single institution probably doesn't have enough data because again, you're only looking at your own data. What are you doing in terms of peer benchmarking? What are you doing right. to look at what others are doing? Why are people using other services or, you know, what other services are they consuming? That they're not consuming from you yeah. or how are they interacting with platforms that are not yours, et cetera. And, you know, I think that's comes back to, you know, kind of the holy grail is the ability to have, you know, some shared data lake, some protected Ooh. data. Right. Some, and scrub some the PII to be and just get it run. out there to get to work. Yeah. Yep. And then the ability to actually run, you know, AI analytics across that larger subset of data and being able to then benchmark your data against the larger group's data. There's significant sure. power in that. Oh, agreed. God, that'd be um, cool. I cut you off because I want no. to talk about AI. But no, no. What are some of the other things that you're hearing people ask questions around? Like, what have been some um, of your recent topics of conversation at conferences? You and- know, most recent, you know, it's interesting. We have credit unions that are talking about, you know, a tablet strategy. But I come back to the tablet strategy, kind of like your AI strategy. It's like, it's, it's, we know we want to do something that allow our members, when they do come into the branch, to interact with a tablet, to do stuff. And I'm like, the stuff. I feel like everything you were saying up to the word stuff, you have me. You have me. I'm engaged with everything you said. But it's the concept of, you know, creating a tablet strategy is like having an AI strategy. We should use more tablet. Okie dokie then. Let's, you know. So I, I think organizationally, we have a lot of credit unions reaching out, kind of say, well, hey, what, what can we do with this and that? I think that, you know, it's going to be, I use the three-legged stool analogy again. You know, you got to have a couple of use cases that are strong enough that makes it worth the juices worth the squeeze to do that work. That's some of the odd facilitation discussions we've been having. Uh, fraud is huge. You know, Zell fraud, then and receive is right now. I know there's some upcoming changes related to wanting to split the inherent risk between the receiving and sending financial institutions. You know, there's that discussion coming out. Credit unions are always like, you know, what's that mean? And then, you know, I'd be surprised reward, you know, I mean, you come back hmm. to royalty and rewards. I feel like it's a cyclic. We had no CDs. Now we have high CDs. Now we got rid of rewards. Oh no, we want to run a rewards program now. So it, it, it is, I think it's the chase. I think financial institutions are trying to make sure they find a way that they're, um, find a way to become top of wallet. Rewards and loyalty is one of those things. I think one of the challenges that I see is how do we make it enterprise wide? Anyone can throw together a checking account where if you do these seven things, I'm going to give you a little something on the side. That table stakes now. I want my card channel to come in. I want digital platform usage to come in. I want to know in-branch transactions. I want all that stuff to scrub together and say, Josh is this member in this bucket and I recognize Josh's usage of us. So I'm going to give him the things and give him access to ways that he feels that is being rewarded. So if Josh is, I want cash back, give him cash back. If he wants points, if he wants a 0.25 on a CD, let's do that. If he wants 0.25 down on his loan, let's do that. You know I mean? That type of holistic recognizing the member as the member, is it's hard. You know I mean? It's difficult as a platform. 
I, I, but it's a big push right now because I feel like some of back, God, it feels like we've been talking this long. Just like you said, just like we're being compared to Apple and Amazon for our digital platforms, we're being not necessarily compared to the community bank across the street for our rewards program. They're comparing us to airline rewards. They're comparing us to Apple rewards. They're comparing to any place that has a rewards program. Your financial institution is compared to them on how they make the member feel being rewarded. And that's a challenge, right? That's a whole new ballgame. You know, how do you act as big as those big actors do? And so I think that's one of the challenges I've been seeing from credit unions lately is how do we do an enterprise level rewards program that's relevant? That's interesting. You know, I think it's a, it's kind of a fun topic because, you know, people are funny creatures and, yeah. you know, what may motivate me may be totally different than what actually motivates you. Sure. And how do you capture that in a way that incentivizes the behavior that you really want to encourage people to? Right. Right. Hey, well, and we'll take away that side and we'll pull back the curtain and say in a way that actually is fiscally sustainable. Yeah. So that the financial institution can maintain it, right? Because, you know, a lot of people rushed out a lot of rewards real quick, but with interchange drops, they just pulled the rewards programs, right? So they, if they didn't, if they couldn't give you enough cash back, they felt like it was better not to do the rewards program than to give you cash back that felt less than what's being advertised on TV. Yeah. So they snapped back the other direction. And so I think a lot of financial institutions are thinking about how they get back out there, get back up, you know, back up on the horse of reward. But how, how do they do it so there's actually room and margin to not to unring the bell again, right? Because I mean, how many times can you roll something out and then pull it back? Eventually your members aren't gonna aren't gonna respond to that. Yeah, you know, that's a, a, it's a really good point to bring up. I was making Well, if you joke. ever want to do a podcast on rewards, you just let me know. Uh, we should do a, but we should do a panel. So I have a lot less to do. Oh, yes. Come on. No, you know, it is. That's a really good point. You know, I'm, I make the joke in demos all the time that like one of the things that people can do in our platform is, you know, set up alerts that are, you know, triggers based on different things. And so, sure. You know, a member can set up an alert to say, you know, if ABC credit union offers a CD with 25%, notify me because I'll move all my money over. And, if you do, please notify me and I will move all my money over. Right. So like I'll we can really easily say, hey, we're going to offer 50% cash back. Right. And you get a ton of business, but you go out of business very quickly. Right. Correct. So there's a balance. And I think what makes yeah. that extra challenging is, you know, right now we're in a compressed margin state more so than we've been in a very long, long time. time. Yeah. Right. Our cost of funds is high. You know, interest rates are super high, so right. loans are down. So we're trying to find ways to bring about collections revenue is and still a challenge. You know, uh, we're seeing delinquencies go up at a, a little higher rate than we've been used to seeing. Mm -hmm. So I think that really also, you know, operating expenses you know, is just tough right now. So it's hard. So I think organizationally, people are starting to think about it, but they're not necessarily ready to design it themselves because they need to see some consistency in how the market's going to go. But I believe the tech stack is getting there ready to be able to do and more of an enterprise-related solution. It's just now we need to be creative on how we incentivize positive usage without just, I'm going to need you to have 12 point of sale. Oh, you hit 11, you get nothing. You know what I mean? That's type of, that's, you know, that's that, again, they're 
that may work for a financial institution across the street, but if I'm comparing it to the rewards programs that we're being compared to nowadays, that won't fly, right? Yeah. That- yeah. And, and, you know, this goes back to, you know, what you were just saying is, is you also have to be prepared to move at a speed to adapt to those quick changes. Yes. Right. I mean, just look at the last four years, man. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we like swung the pendulum exponentially in that time frame? I mean, I remember when people were like, oh gosh, for the love of all things holy, I cannot take another deposit. Like, please, get, yeah, gotta oh, do yeah. something about all these deposits. And now they're like, OMG, give me all your deposits. Right. right. So that environment changes so much and nobody's ever going to have a crystal ball. You're never going to have a. I had credit unions call plan. me because they had not created a new certificate product in four to five years and they'd forgotten how to go through and create tiered pricing certificate. I mean, they've done it in the past, right? But oh, wow. tribal knowledge comes, they haven't done it. Maybe they don't have great documentation, but no one had anticipated that, you know, I'm seeing 5% CDs just laying or I mean, I can drive down the street now yeah. and just see 5%. And I'm like, it's higher than what my first mortgage was. You know what I mean? Crazy, so right? that's like, boy, I wish I, you know, I guess I should have bought that CD and hold off on this house. So yeah. Yeah. Like you were saying, then the requirement becomes that you've got to have a technology infrastructure to be able to meet those, right? Correct. So all of a yeah. sudden, this crazy rate environment changes and you've all of a sudden got to start offering really sophisticated programs around CDs. Yeah. And like you were saying, right, like offering tiered solutions. But what if the technology that you leverage doesn't offer that, right? Well, yeah. now you're in an even worse position. So, you know, it's important to have the technology aspect lined up to be able to, you know, support changing environments, changing roadmaps. And, you know, I think that's a lot of the pedigree that makes the technology providers that you rely on great or not so great is, you know, here, actually, we'll have a little fun with this one. I'll make another bold statement (laughs) that I like to make. I love when I get asked, uh, and I have been, JBF, on an RFP from a community financial institution that they want to see a 10-year roadmap and have us commit to it. And I'm like, no, I'm a technology company. If yeah. I can tell you what I'm going to do in 10 years, it probably just means I suck so bad at building things, it's going to take me 10 years to build the thing I probably should have built in six months. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, our the tech needs to be able, ha- we need to have a long-term vision. Right. Sure. We right. need to have a long-term vision, but how that gets executed and the granular details of that has got to be able to change. Right. Six, six month roadmaps now feel like I'm putting a lot of eggs in a basket. I mean, because of the fact that from a competition standpoint, from a software development standpoint, and from a compliance and regulatory standpoint, which then comes in and trumps what I hope to accomplish. Right. But if something comes down and says, hey, by the way, you're now required to do this. Yeah. Right. Then back to opportunity cost, which of these great ideas that four months ago I promised I'd have done in six months, am I going to table to do do this because I have to do these things? And so, yeah, I mean, I think your 10 year roadmap is as a financial institution, as a software company, as whatever, I plan to be relevant and growing and then use a font that really shows that you care. And .ai. 
And, and dot AI. Yeah. <laughs> it, the, no, just this statement was written by AI, yeah. right? I mean, that's it. So don't worry. Every month, our AI is writing out a, a, our 10-year plan. 10 years. So let's take Scott, we got that. You know, speaking of just kind of how the collaborative side of looking at how to how does technology need to evolve to help maintain sure. the relevancy of financial institutions? You know, you referenced earlier some of the different ways, you know, you personally and Jack Henry, you know, help to facilitate and collaborate in those types of events. You know, you referenced CU Build. Ooh, and was- I was super fortunate to have had Brad Hickey from American Airlines Credit Union. That was a good, that was a good interview. On the podcast to talk about CU Build. But, you know, he yeah. was talking about it more so from the credit union side of things, I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on the technologists side of things. Like how do those types of events help to, you know, kind of further and just make, like you said, I mean, it's a 36 hour, like build-a-thon, right? Yeah. So how in that time period do you use Uh, that to potentially catapult a roadmap item? Yeah. So six months, at least before then the tech stacks being built. And so you know, Jack Henry is the common bond. We're the, you know, we're a main pipe on the tech stack, but the community group, you know, the CU Build organization, they bring in lots of vendors to go through and then share in that tech stack. So what what's exciting about for us is that we get to see organically, given a clean sandbox of with Jack Henry is the common bond host software, what do you build? Right. And so like this last year's we had some amazing pieces. We had everything from AI to some uh, financial counseling in the moment. We had some some fee pieces, but on the way of you know, how to return fees in a more dynamic and fair way, all the way down to the winning one, which was really about taking the concept of youth accounts, which in my day, youth accounts was, here's your ugly backpack with your credit union logo on it. Thank you for opening up your lemonade stand money. You're earning nothing on it, right? But we plan on giving you a car loan 12 years from now. So stay tuned, right? And so that, that was the concept of a youth account at the credit union I started with. But the concept is now it's like digital forward, getting your parents to actually set, you know, helping you with savings goals creating interactivity for those persons to understand financial literacy and, and training and good stewardship of money. And so the people who teach you how to be a good financial steward as the person you're going to go to when I need a car loan or I need a home loan, 100%, guaranteed. If, if you're still able to connect with that person who made you feel like you were financially aware, I just feel like that piece. And so the concept of creating all those uh, available vendors into that tech stack is, is an awful lot of work, but we get an awful lot out of it and, and, and as a, a way to see uh, people hitting our systems and utilizing them in a very creative way. And so, you know, see you build is our community build-a-thong that, uh, you know, we're again, we help facilitate, but we had team members there. So we were able to actually send staff members and actually randomly put them on teams and that was a lot of fun. I, I I talked to our team members that were there and they were just like amazed. They just got into it so much working alongside credit unions, roll up their sleeves. I have so much FOMO. I, if I thought I could get away with it, if I thought I could get away with just, you know, this is Bames 
Jazer, and he's going to join one of the teams, right? And I just show up, I'm on a team. If I could get away with it, I'd do it. They'd never let me do it. But I, I just, it just, there's just something chemistry wise in that environment. So, but, you know, from a concept of build a you know, Jack Henry is a company. We have our build a We have some internal ones within various departments. Do you guys, from a facilitation standpoint, does your organization tie into some types of build a some types of hackathons, some types of community growth type of software development pieces? Yeah, we do internally, but, you know, we haven't done, we've been to CU Build now twice. Sure. And I think yeah. Brad will personally take me out to a field in Dallas somewhere and beat me with a sack of potatoes if we don't do a little bit more participation next year. But yes, we It's all about your tech to. stack. Get your tech stack yeah. out there. I look forward to it. Yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate that you brought up the youth side of things too. I, <laughs> we don't have enough time left in the day to get on that soapbox of mine. But, I love um, it. Oh, you know, I think that is such a colossal missed opportunity. You know, I had a guest huge. on the podcast. This has not, it'll be released by the time this episode gets released. But I had uh, a gentleman, David Dindy from Atomic Invest on. Ooh, Atomic. Yeah. And, and got a chance to spend time at their booth this last conference. Oh, really? Yeah. What they're doing is super rad. But I, yeah. I think more than anything, what really this has stuck with me, JBF. Like he made a comment and I actually was just reviewing his podcast assets the other day and I saw this line in it and I was like, man, I have to commit this one to memory because I'm going to be honest, this is really powerful stuff. And this speaks to why I give a crap and why I wake up every morning. And he made the comment, he said, you know, if poverty lasts more than a generation, we as a society have done a disservice. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's there's so many opportunities for education, for technology sure. and for people to step in and help end poverty at a generation. Yeah. Right. How many families have stayed in poverty simply because they have not been given the education, the tools, the opportunities and just about all of that. Is solvable in yeah. one way or another. And that's a lot of what you see credit unions doing time and time again. You know, you and I talked about this before the episode, right? Like this is a lot of yeah. even our own personal stories, right? God, yeah. I was a moron who would have been in a really bad shape and I would have perpetuated a cycle of poverty if a credit union hadn't stepped in and intervened, right? And so how do you do that at scale? And I think right. technology is a huge part of the answer to that question. Yeah. And, and again, my generation of how they would have stepped in versus, you know, in high school, we actually had a class on fiscal literacy. It was part of the a chained into home ec, you know, but that that's, that never happened nowadays, right? I mean, the whole concept is it's not the same. And so technology and those people willing to lead in the community environment are our, our only hope of being able to attack financial literacy in any meaningful way, because the generation now that is consuming learning, the generation now that we can make some really good impact in have to be reached in a certain way that the old school, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a class on how to be not an idiot with my money. That's never going to happen in school. It's never going to be able to be consumed in a way that has a meaningful, impactful format. We can only rely on community financial institutions, on vendors, on fintechs that are willing to engage at a grass level to help us address that. Because the time of sitting down in front of a whiteboard to explain them how to balance a checkbook has come and gone. It'll never align again with that type of learning cycle. So we need smart, innovative people 
to meet them where they will be and where they're willing to learn. And that's on the yes. channel, right? That's on the e-channel. Yes, dude, seriously. Oh my gosh. I am so thankful for you saying that. I, you know, so this goes back to what you were talking about earlier too, in the sense that if you keep doing things the way you've always done them, you can expect to see the same results, Yeah. right? And especially yeah. that has an impact when the world around you is changing and you continue to do things the way you've always done I'll give you a great example of this. You want to know what one of the most searched for topics on TikTok is? Oh, God. I can't even imagine. It's finance and money. Really? Seriously. I would have thought dance moves. I mean, there's other garbage in there, but it's up there. It ranks. So people are looking to consume that content. Now, here's the big problem. And the type of people that you run across there. The time yeah. is because I have a high rating in TikTok. Uh, and just because uh, people hand me money because I get a lot of used doesn't yes. mean that person is fiscally yes. sound to give you investment advice. Oh. I love seeing, and I people started sending me these now that they know I get really excited about these. Is I, I love seeing these different examples of these influencers who are giving you financial advice. And I'm right. like, no, that's yeah. actually terrible advice. Nope, that's actually illegal. No, that's not actually possible, but they're so convicted. They're so, you know, charismatic about it. They're like, look, I drive a Bentley every day and you can too. If all you do is follow these simple steps that I have outlined for you. What if I'm an 18 year old kid, why would I not want to try that strategy? Good God. Right. If I have no good, solid foundational backing. For me to go, oh, no, you know what? That guy's actually an idiot. And he's just trying to get me to watch more of his videos so he can make more money. I'm three times an 18-year-old kid. And I would like to drive a Bentley in these four easy steps. Yeah, exactly. Right? Right. And so there's a hunger for the content. Where people are going for it is different than where they used to. And the problem is it's so easy to put garbage content out. And that is having, again, impacts on that's not setting people up for success. So there's just so much opportunity in this area. In fact, it's actually the worst. So the ability to make a swing and a miss at fiscal stability, in my opinion, doing it and then failing again after you took the opportunity to say, I'm going to learn about finance, I'm going to try to become responsible, and you get bad advice, and you take a hit and go down even farther just makes it harder to, to break even. You know what I mean? Yeah. Much less advanced, right? Yeah. Just how do you break even? It's like the whole concept. If you're in a hole and you want to get out, stop digging first. Just stop digging. You know yeah. what I mean? And so I feel like if you're fishing on TikTok, on average, maybe there's some really gifted financial coaches out there. On average, I feel like you're just digging. You're not looking. So. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, this just goes back to, uh, this is why I really love to be able to have conversations with people like you. And this is why I think that, you know, it's so cool to have the different, you know, forums for us to do that. And a lot of that is, you know, things in person, going to these conferences, that's where, you know, going back to your, one of your first questions of me, like, you know, how do I decide, look, I'm again, I, you all know me well enough to know at this point, I'd like, I say things pretty bluntly. I'm to come see you. I'm spending time away from my family and no yeah. offense, JVF. I love you to death. I love my kid more. I want to I be saw your kid him. run by just behind yeah, you. He, just, <laughs> he was just chasing the garbage trade, truck. <laughs> I am delightful. I am not a fair trade. Absolutely not. You're on the, you're on the, you're on the losing side of that trip. 
But the I yeah, think, exactly. That the point yeah. is that if I'm going to choose to be away from that, there's got to be value in it. And Impact. this is the value that we get out of it, right? Being able to have yeah. conversations with people where I see, you know what? There's other people out there that are trying to make an impact so that we can do things like end generational poverty so that we can actually set people up for success. Because you know what? That may be my neighbor. That may be my son. That sure. may be somebody else that's close to me, right? And so I think, you know, literally going all the way back to your intro, this is why we get excited. This is how you yeah. run around in, you know, high gear at all times at all these conferences is being fueled by the knowledge that while what we do is a very small part of it, we're helping enable an industry that is actually providing real, true benefit and value and meaningful change to people's lives. And that's a pretty noble cause. Yeah, I, it's, it, there's just something different about knowing that I myself do not work for, you know, not-for-profit, but being able to help support not-for-profit profit to me means an awful lot. I, I, you know, I feel like that trade of time that I go through, you know, that I have to make a choice. I'm my weekend. I'm lying out on a Sunday night because I've got a Monday morning something. Yeah. I'm missing a Sunday night with the family, but you know what? At times the impact is worth it and it makes it easier when you're working on something that I'm again, financial literacy, you know, the credit union mission. I just just something I care about. And I really just enjoy being around it and being enabled to help support it however I can. So, well, if anybody listening is wondering why I made the comment at the beginning of uh, JBF's intro about why I was so excited to have him on the podcast, there's your answer right there. Jeez. I thought it was you were trying to talk me out of a free airline upgrade. And I mean, it's set, you know, it's set. If you're going to go on this whole humble brag thing. No, I'm just saying I'm, I'm working on an app. As a lesser. I'm working on an app. I'm working on an app called, uh, again, and everyone, please steal this app idea. I'd like to call it Lounge Moocher, where I will check in to various airport lounges. And then if anyone that I know happens to that, I could just, you know, we just mooch in. But everyone has to, all my friends have to check in when they're at their lounges because, you know, there sometimes I go through and it's like, I'm sitting in the lounge and I ABC sitting in Delta having an extra drink. And I'm like, how come I can't leave? Can I get in on that? Can right. I can I get in on that? So I'm just saying, I, I think long-term we should just hang out the Portland lounge one of these times and just not fly somewhere. That would be <laughs> fine with me. I guess that's where I got through this whole thing is let me get on your calendar. We'll meet at the lounge. We'll say we're going somewhere and we'll just hang out in the lounge all day and just come home early. I mean, other than meeting at a conference or somehow lucking out and maybe that's what we have to do is maybe we just have to look yeah. at like places we know we'll both be at. And I'm 10 F. What are you? <laughs> all right. Let's move our yeah. seats. So I'm going to send you ahead of time. Yeah. Send yeah. you ahead of time. We'll take all, we'll take roasts. Well, and you know, you're not necessarily playing. If two, two Typhoon and me in a row, then they can, no one, you know, if the three of us are in a row, it's going to be. Oh, we'll I, no the, way. I, there's no way I'm going to be in a row with Jason. Have you seen how tall that boy is? He's, yeah. He's not. It's like a whole he's row. Not seat material no, he's not middle saying. seat material. Yeah. He's God not, did not build him for the middle seat. He is not. <laughs> not even in premium economy is he middle seat material. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, seriously, JBF, I can't even begin to tell you how much I've appreciated you being a guest on the show. It was fun. It was a good time. 
Well, before I let you go, I have two final questions for you. Sure. Okay. So first off, obviously, you know, you've talked about it a lot. You really care about learning so that you have some of the answers when people have questions for you. So where do you go for information? Ooh, boy, I follow the trade bet- between, uh, you know, CU Times, Finipotamus, uh, a couple places. I subscribe to some more generic stuff. I do spend some time on Forbes because I like to see, you know, more generic financial institution, especially related to, you know, overall, you know, consumption of technology. I like to read, to be honest. I still go out and chase down some of the technical magazines. I know it sounds horrible, but if you find you're on an Alaska Airlines and there is a rolled up old school computer magazine still in the back of it, I may have been on you the flight ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> I may have read it and just left it there saying, someone's going to want to read this when inherently maybe I'm the only one that still reads those things. I don't know. To be honest, um, there's a good chance. Well, people want to to short circuit that and just go straight to you for all the answers. How do they connect with you? How do they learn more about uh, uh, Jack Henry and what you guys oh, are doing Oh, well, there? yeah. So learning more about Jack Henry, of course, jackhenry.com. But, you know, to be honest, you know, I enjoy your podcast. I enjoy your LinkedIn content and Typhoon's content. I feel like a lot of people that may interact here may be people who development, who do actually dev. So if you're going to look at Jack Henry, the company, it's jackhenry.com. Sorry, jackhenry.com. There's a lot of good stuff out there. I like jackhenry.dev. So if you're a doodler or you're looking to play and see what can happen, I think jackhenry.dev is actually a better place. Me, I'm on better on LinkedIn. I think I need to do better. I kind of treat it a little bit more like Facebook. Probably should treat it more like a business. Uh, That's one of the reasons why I love your LinkedIn. But, uh, you know, yeah, you can check me out. I actually, and I don't mind random people messaging me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with people. I, I like to see what other people are doing. So, and then hopefully, you know, if you're traveling, if you're traveling in the user client conference cycle, Maybe I'll get a chance to see people then. And then if we get a chance to meet face-to-face, that's even better. Because I feel like once I meet someone face-to-face, like like yourself, then I, I get a chance to connect and, and then more stuff happens once I get a chance to meet people in person. Yeah, I love that. Well, you're hard to miss if you're ever at a conference. and I uh, am loud. And Mr. James Burke Frazier is there too. You will know. That <laughs> is like true. Look for him. Well, again... Seriously, thank you so much. I'm truly humbled to have been able to have you as a guest. You know, he knows this, but for all of you, I mean, how many times have I asked you to be a guest? It was four or five times, but I thought the first three were you were punking me. But only after I started listening to your podcast, then I'm like going, he actually has a podcast. So the first couple of times. No, I was just kidding. You just say a bunch of stupid stuff and put laughing. You should meet on my podcast. And then you'd send me a Zoom call. And for all I know, it was just be me on the Zoom call. But you, you actually, you're legit. So then now. I don't know if I'd go I was only, far. It was only one time after I believed you were actually really podcasting that you asked me. The first two, I just took it as you, you know, punking me. So that's being, count. yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. No, seriously. Thank you for being a guest. And honestly, thank you for being a guest on the first ever video digital banking so, podcast. So I apologize for people who had to watch this video. Just think you can always just listen to it without the video on. It's bad. The face gestures. They add a lot. Oh my God. We talk that's a lot with thing. our hands, right? I am, <laughs> I am surprised I didn't knock myself unconscious. Yes, that's true. I'm a gesture. Gesture. Well, thank you, sir. Much appreciated. And I'll see you on the next flight. We'll see you on the next flight.
Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Sylvia. Thank you for listening to the Digital Banking Podcast powered by Typhoon. Find more episodes on digitalbankingpodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.